Welcome to the Roadie Medic Podcast. Thank you so much for choosing to listen today. The Roadie Medic Podcast is about the people who make up the life of live events. Join me and my guests as we tour through the merging scenes and landscapes of live music, festivals, pre-hospital care, public health and frontiers beyond. So what is a roadie medic anyway? Well, in my mind, a roadie medic is a person providing medical cover at live events. I'm talking about first aiders. I'm talking about volunteers with St. John, nurses, medical students, advanced paramedics and doctors. So before I introduce my guest today, I just need to say that this podcast is for you. The guys that are out there in the high vis doing the long hours to keep that show on the road and to keep everyone safe. And I hope you are all doing well at this challenging time. So the Roadie Medic podcast is my take on what it's been like to work in in this amazing field. And before I introduce my guests today, a bit about me. My name's Dr. Aaron Castro, and I'm an event medicine doctor. Or should I say, I'm the Roadie Medic. My journey has taken me from career burnout in the recess rooms of A&Es in London, to, to places I thought I'd never go, and to sites that I thought I'd never see. I'm talking about covering the medical tents and field hospitals of Glastonbury, Reading, Download, festivals of epic scale and proportion, covering stadia shows, anything and everything from the Rolling Stones to Rammstein, Bon Jovi to Beyonce, the Mannix to Muse, Foo Fighters, Spice Girls, Def Leppard, from the Albert Hall to the Ashes, to London Stadium and back again. The past three years have been a pleasure and a privilege to work as a freelance doctor in the live event scene working with charities and talented companies out there that keep us safe in mass gatherings. Wherever there is a big gig, you'll find me. And if you don't find me, you'll find a roadie medic much like me out there. Now, before we get into life at Nightingale, in true eclectic roadie medic style, I'm going to get you into the moods with profit over people. Live free or die by the rules Everybody's being taken for a fool The government we trust has us out to dry The system is corrupt, can disguise a lie Equality is the mission that we choose I'm like Panama, Panama, yeah, they're rapping you, rapping you They're giving you first aid while I'm stopping you, stopping you They're telling us the benefits, the cause of the deficit Handing us a hand-me-down, that was never gonna fit we're in it together, but what's more? They seek asylum offshore while the money's offshore. This stinks so raw, never been so sure that a man will sell the seashells off the seashore. Whilst getting away with untold tax, working to the bone, cracking up your back, they're rolling out your soul, punching holes till you crack. Pushing up the nose, wanna see the road stack. Profit over people, this ever so lethal. Why can't a better man be seen as an equal? One man's dome is another man's steeple. Let's try, trust I can't be dealing with the sea. Live free or die by the rules Everybody's being taken for a fool The government we trust takes us out to dry The system is corrupt, can disguise the lies Equality is the mission that we choose uh, Ladies and gentlemen, uh, if I may say so, I was uh, enormously touched to be asked to open the Nightingale Hospital was part of a mass mobilization to withstand the coronavirus crisis. Uh, it is, without doubt, a spectacular and uh, almost unbelievable feat of work. 
in every sense, from its speed of construction in just nine days, as we've heard, to its size and the skills of those who have created it. An example, if everyone was needed, of how the impossible could be made possible and how we can achieve the unthinkable through human will and ingenuity. The creation of this hospital is, uh, above all, the result of an extraordinary uh, collaboration and partnership between NHS managers, the military, and all those involved to create a centre on a scale that has never been seen before in the United Kingdom. To convert one of the largest national conference centres into a field hospital, starting with 500 beds and uh, with a potential of 4,000, is quite frankly incredible. On this debut episode of the Rody Medic podcast, I'll be taking you all back to early April at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. The city is London and we're in lockdown. Today we're going to meet three of my colleagues, Dr. Ashley Cliff, Clinical Research Fellow at the University of Oxford, Dr. Safia Akhtar, GP trainee with a specialist interest in tropical medicine, and Nurse Specialist Dorcas Boama, Specialist Nurse in Nutrition. So without further ado, this is a conversation about life at NHS Nightingale. Ash, how are you? Mate, I, I, I'm tired. I'm, I'm well, but oh, I'm, no. I, I've got a new gig. And um, is this being recorded right now? Yeah, and uh, this is just a warm up. So just relax, okay. be yourself. Okay, just because I I can't say some things that are being recorded at the moment because it involves the government, so. Oh, right, okay, just take it off, take it off. <laughs> I want to know. That, that's that's know. a tease, that is. We really want to know. <laughs> I want, How much can you tell us? Um, are, we talking about, are we talking about sort of complex bubbles here? Um, beyond that. Extendable bubbles. This is a never-ending bubble. Never end. So, so I'm like... I'm in, I, so I'm working at Oxford now. I've got like a clinical research fellowship for a while, working on stuff to do with COVID that involves um, government policy, and that's all I can say. Oh my God! Turn this recording off. I have to. Do. I want to hear the gloss. <laughs> I can, st- I can I stop the recording. Yeah, the I can stop it. Uh, so I'm going to just ask you, sort of individually, to introduce yourselves. Um, so Ash, can we start with you? um alphabetical order yeah yeah um so yeah i'm ash uh, i um i used to be a an academic surgical trainee but then realized that there's more to life than hernias about a year ago <laughs> um there's only, only so many times you can have right eye cross of pain query appendicitis written down you realize that you know life is shit uh, so i i kind of jumped ship and did some stuff in data science startup digital health space this is where you start to lose most of us so i know exactly. what I, does I, that really mean i, I did do, well no one really knows that's the thing but it sounds really interesting to um to job interview people um so yeah i just like went into like the like a health tech startup kind of thing for a bit um then re-received my calling to go back to the um 
to clinical practice for COVID. Um, and since then, I've obviously worked at Nightingale with a few very fine people. Um, and I'm still working on COVID, but I've gone back to academia and working as an epidemiologist now, which is very good fun. And what sort of compelled you to, to, to volunteer? Um, because, yeah, you guys volunteered, didn't you? Um, you still get to be paid, from what I understand. What compelled you to volunteer? Uh, do you guys want to answer that first? Or is that directed to uh, Just to, to you, Ash, yeah. Oh, so I'm going to do kind of one-to-one -one sort of little blocks of each uh, okay. of you. Otherwise, it's just too hard to cut together. I mean, I think... I just, I just always, I just, I've just always wanted to do something that it's really cheesy and really cliched, right? But I just always wanted to do something that was important and mattered and would help people. And I just felt that I was watching stuff unfurl before my eyes, kind of having some disagreements with policy on how the government was handling and whatever. I just wanted to, you know, wanted to do my bit. Like people keep using all these World War II focused aphorisms or it's like oh Dunkirk spirit and all that bollocks um I just wanted to do my bit I just did, I just didn't like the idea of people being out there suffering and feeling awful and dying and I've got you know some skills that might be useful for that I just wanted to make myself useful essentially the same so, for me I mean I was just thinking you know if not now then when yeah um and it sounds awful it does rhyme um, but if not you, then who? Um, you know, previously, um, haven't printed a T-shirt for that. But for me, <laughs> yeah. it's like I had ITU skills. I'd, I'd done yeah. emergency medicine training. I'd done a bit of time in ITU, as, as had you yeah. as well. And what am I doing on the sidelines when yeah. people are literally dying around you? Yeah. Um, you know, family, relatives are becoming unwell. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's just in the vocation of of yeah. doctors, nurses, other healthcare people. It's just in our blood. It's just in our mentality, isn't it? Yeah, I, th I think so. I think that we've, we've all got that kind of sense of duty or that like moral obligation to serve, right? And I think people, I think it's, it's a relative, it's quite, it's kind of similar to like a military mindset where, you, you know, in the military, you serve your country. Like if you're a medic or a nurse or work in the NHS, you have the same sort of mindset that you, you know, you want to serve and do your part and I think this just amplified that and I think what thousands of people felt the same way and re-registered who have left the NHS for various reasons got stuck back in because we're all we might have had our disagreements or reasons for leaving clinical work but at the same time you know it's still in your blood right mm. what about you Safia what what kind of um, what were you doing pre-covid um, so I'm a GP trainee um, in my first year, um, but my interest really is kind of, um, I did my master's in tropical medicine and it was like, like Ash, Ash said, like seeing this unfold before your eyes was kind of um, like it was out of this world. Um, a lot of my like colleagues on the course that were in different countries and um, like some of them in Italy as well seeing them like what situation they were in already and just knowing that we are going to be as bad or worse um, I think that's why I was like I need to go do something more than I was I was on my GP rotation at that time and it was fairly quiet because no one wanted to see the doctor um, and yeah that's why I was like I need to go do something more um, 
and I think honestly we thought like maybe Ebola would be the biggest thing we'd see um and like I had plans in my head that like oh, I'd be going all these like different countries to help them out for those infectious diseases and to have it come here on your doorstep and to have the opportunity to go help it was like a no-brainer kind of thing yeah um yeah. Mm. um so yeah now I'm back on GP and it's I think I've just followed the virus to be honest <laughs> like, <laughs> I've just been following it um because when when I saw it was game bad in for like the elderly patients I did some like geriatric shifts in hospital mm. when it was only one or two dotted up on the ward um and then loads of junior doctors were sick um so f2 f1s and f2s and um, those consultants were sick and the hospital i was locoming at um, i think they had like eight juniors and three consultants often for one department at one time so it, they were desperate for people to come help in their hospital um and in that area it was the worst hit in london at that time as well um so then after that doing some jerry's i was like okay i actually need to see this disease what it is firsthand so i did some acute medicine um and saw how it was presenting and then i got a chance to work in um club um which is like a, where self-isolating patients can be seen by the doctor by a gp um which was really good for my learning of how people actually like um because in itu they're, they're stated and paralyzed so they, they can't talk to you um, you don't really know what they're, they're like as such um, because they're, they, they're not having those kind of acute symptoms um, you're just seeing the numbers um, and reacting in that kind of way mm -hmm. so yeah I think I, I really have followed the virus and now I've down a bit um, back with UK and, and kind of going back to that, um, you were just discussing how um, it's difficult to kind of relate maybe to a, a patient that's intubated and ventilated, who's been transferred from a distant hospital to, to the Nightingale. Um, what, I mean, what was that like kind of getting to know them? Because there, there was a process there, wasn't there? Yeah, I think um, on the first few days um, by the bedside, there wasn't, wasn't much there, but there was a really good like family liaison team. And um, there was a lot there by the end of the first week. And then afterwards, like photos of how they were like before um, they were in ITU, um, which was actually quite sad, I thought, because we thought we saw them so well. Um, and to see them, how they were in their beds now. Um, really edematous, like lines everywhere, um, like loads of machinery around, um, bruised, yeah, not looking um, well at all. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think it was a bit upsetting to see um, for all of us, I think. Mm. Um, it was also nice to see like the family um, messages and things like that, and that was near, near the patient. Um, it made us remember that they were a real person and not just like a body that we were treating. I mean, the work of the family liaison team was just incredible at the Nightingale. I mean, just the, the kind of the contact they had with uh, families and they would relay the messages from us to update daily on the progress. Um, they would, 
you know find out about uh, the the patient's preferences they would you know put it on laminated sheets so that would be at the bedside so we could we could read this information we know what this person did for a living what what the music tastes were what the food yeah. they liked you know simple stuff that really brings back the personhood because you know this was a, a hospital that was going to be equipped for 2,000 people um with every bed space looking the same, with every individual in those bed spaces having the worst disease known to mankind. Um, and it just kind of brought it home that these are real people. They're, you know, they're your bus drivers, they are your nurses, um, they are your teachers. Um, mm. And for me, it just helped me focus on um, what it was we're there for. Um, because you can, you can become numb to it, I think. Um, when you're just yeah. facing such volumes as well. Yeah. Dorcas, what was it what was it like for you? What were you doing pre-COVID? So pre-COVID, I was um I'm a nutrition nurse, so NGs, day in and day out, uh TPM. Don't you know it. <laughs> eh? Don't you know it? The Daily Mail knows it. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to be a celebrity basically. Um in the nursing field, really. No, but pre-COVID, yeah, nutrition nurse, really, basically. 95, boring. Not boring, but, you know. When it comes to empathising with patients, Dorcas, you're, you're one of the people that kind of go above and beyond. Oh, <laughs> do, you, do, you to, yeah, yeah. do you want me to tell them or are you going to tell them? I, I, think you should, I think you should tell them. I should be really proud about what I did. Um, <laughs> so a couple of years ago, last year, I inserted an NG tube um just so i can be in the patient's shoes and a lot of times a lot of my patients in the community are all like you know quite young so um above 25 or under and i wanted to know how they were feeling so what what so just just to recap you you just said you inserted an ng tube into yourself yeah yeah no no well no no i got my colleague to do okay, it okay right but i'm sure i could wow. do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah why not i link the link put the link below so they can have a little um look at it and do you Instagram. So, so is this kind of like a, a thing about um normalizing it or what was it what was it about what kind of drove you to it i i think a lot i think most of my well, the, why I did it was basically just to put myself in the patient's shoes. Um, because a lot of times doctors or nurses will tell patients, you know, it's a little quick tube that goes down your your, um, your nose, down your throat, and it's really, really easy. But actually, the insertion might be easy, but living with it every day is not easy. Because whenever you swallow your saliva, the tube moves, and you've got constant sore throat. And we need to be open and honest to the patient due to a condor you know mm. really important so so moving from um sort of gi stuff to to working at nightingale um you, you were actually working on the admissions unit weren't you to start with yeah to start with yeah i think because that's where they we realized I, had, <laughs> they realized I had no skills no um <laughs> well we quickly found those skills Apart from NG, no, no, no. Um, I don't know why they put me out of admission units. I don't know. That was a bizarre place, but, but, but I am glad. You, you kind of rose through the ranks very quickly, if I remember rightly. Yeah, definitely. I'm a, I'm a quick learner, as you know, Aaron. 
<laughs> so, so the story is, Dorcas and I, we're doing day one at the Nightingale. We're working admissions unit. We've got an A&E reg. We've got a nurse specialist in GI, NG kind of uh, stuff. And we are going to be the first people to meet patients transferred in from the ITUs across London, across the southeast. Um, so fine. All right. We're, we're going to be fine with this. And as, as time goes on, um, Dorcas took over. Um, she, <laughs> where I'm going with this, I won't joke about it. There was some real serious problems with, um, staffing, some staffing issues where, uh, we couldn't roster enough, um, staff members from other, other hospitals around, uh, London. And so we we're really short staffed. Um, and so I ended up moving around to the IT ward to help out. Um, and after staying there, I ended up staying there for another four or five weeks. Dorcas um from day one on on the admissions unit as as a as a nurse returning to frontline clinical practice day two she's now pretty much running the admissions unit I'm a, a kind matron. of un, un, matron yeah unsung <laughs> hero um and I think that's part of the spirit of of um Nightingale really it, it was yeah. you know we have a can-do attitude mm. um, yeah I think it was all about getting to work showing up and doing your part really to be honest because you know what would you do if you're home or if I went back to my hospital what would I be doing mm. do you know what I mean so I think just being there showing up doing what you you can do um and just playing your part really and so now now you mentioned you're kind of doing policy work um uh back in your usual um sort of job How's it sort of, you know, your experience at Nightingale, how's that affecting, you know, how you work now? Positively, I think it's all positive because I, so I had a really good positive feedback. Um, one of the chief operation officers basically gave me a really good feed, feedback about potentially getting into leadership. So I managed to get myself an MSc in leadership starting in um, September. Wow, congrats. That's fun, man. Because I, you know, she said, you know, we need really strong female leaders on top. And I said, yes, you're right. You're right. Yes, let's get me on top. <laughs> so we had a bit of a coaching session about where potentially I see myself in the next sort of um, three to five years. And yeah, I think it's changed my whole idea of like NHS. I want to look into the structure of NHS because when you do go into corporate field, there's all like, you know, men. Mm. Yes, be blunt. Yeah, men. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I think we need more women on top, really, to be honest. We make we make quite a bit a, a bit of the percentage in, in the NHS organization. So why don't we we need to be on top basically? So I think diversity diversity in all in all shapes and forms isn't it really yeah definitely no no you're right yeah so yeah i think at the moment sort of career progression um i'm also trying to do um one shift a month in icu just to keep up that skill that's amazing um just in case something else happens you know in 80 years time when we're retired um, <laughs> <laughs> um i can be ready ready and you know ready equipped and ready to go basically um yeah so so you've really upskilled you know it's um this kind of going from redeployment to you know working as the nurse and then wow matron in very short time and now onto more leadership 
who knows you know let, next time we do the podcast maybe in a year's time or <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see where you, where you go when you, can t- you can tell us all about your chronic lower back pain from carrying Nightingale, Dorcas. <laughs> <laughs> what, what were the challenges, guys? I'm going to open it to, um, to all of you. What were the challenges um, of Nightingale? What was really difficult? Yeah, I think like simple things like different pumps. Can I be honest? Can I be honest here? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's like a technical yeah. issue with, with kit. Yeah. So, so whereas, whereas like different hospitals have got different pumps. So things like training people on pumps is really, really important. We never had that in the induction. Are we recording this? It's okay. Whatever. Um, I, I think, I, I think I, they brought it in later on, but it was definitely a dynamic uh, involving yeah. induction. Yeah. I think basic things like the things that will be used in. So, pump training the ventilator training nothing like that and you're basically like chapped into this you know makeshift hospital and you're meant to be looking at numbers <laughs> sometimes it doesn't make sense you know what i mean with like no training and you're just there and you're just like okay whatever what is this i don't know but i mean i guess because the, the people around you you know you've got your itu nurses and you've got your ITU consultants and people that actually know the numbers, but I think it would have been good if we knew some of the numbers prior to starting. I don't know. I don't know how, how you guys feel. Ash, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think because we kind of had to make do with the kit we had, we had every, like, so in terms of like ventilators, we had everything from like really bizarrely ancient Enlon ventilators where, instead of like dialing down to a, a specific percentage of oxygen, you had to like tweak different knobs and there were like some weird little air tubes with little um, bevels levitating in there for like different talking about like a, a 1980s anesthetic machine. Yeah, it was bizarre, like a weird, uh, yeah, weird anesthetic machine where it's like, you know, concoct a mixture of gases with which to ventilate your patient rod. And then next door, you've got someone in a lovely Draeger where it's all like you just tap a button and it does it. So, so the, the Draeger is like, what, well, like the the top spec ventilator that's out there, I guess. Yeah, it's it's, it's like contrast. the Mac Pro ventilator. Mac Pro, yeah, that's it. Apothecary, alchemist style ventilator. <laughs> it's just yeah. Personally, uh, I just like the analog format. I like the analog format. I like having dials to to tweak and that sort of thing. But okay, clinically, really I could see clinically, I could see what you were seeing, which is. They're just not as good as. No, as good. yeah, I mean they're, they're they're a little bit hipster. So like you know, vinyls are good, but there's a little bit too early for that. So yeah, so I, I guess that was quite challenging, Dorcas. Yeah, I think the the thing that I found most difficult was the shift pattern. So because we did two days on, uh, two days and then two nights. So like we we were like Thursday to Sunday cruise. So we did Thursday day, Friday day. Saturday night, Sunday night. And I don't mind doing night shifts, but I just got used, you know, normally you want to have a bit of a stretch. So you get into the habits, you rest, you know, you, you kind of sort your circadian rhythms, but kind of flipping just with two days of each kind of made me feel a bit lethargic and was a, messed me up a little bit. So that was quite and, difficult. And Ash, you, you basically lived at the Excel for the whole six weeks. Is that right? Yeah, so I, I, I still had my flat 
for most of it. So I'd, I'd go back on my, I'd go back for two days um, on my days off just because there's more stuff to see. Like if I wanted to go for a walk, I could go to Hyde Park and walk rather than walk past my hospital where I'm working because there's not that much around the XR, right? Um, yeah, but most of the time I was there. So it was, and obviously it was great when you're in there, you're at work, you go to the canteen, you can see your friends and stuff, but it was a, it was a little bit isolating. And I think at least at the induction, the thing I thought was quite palpable when we were discussing things was people were a little bit apprehensive and a bit worried about that sense of isolation where you wear PPE all day, you're meant to be socially distant, you work 13 hour shifts, you go back to your place, have a shower, go to bed, get up, go back to work. And I think people were quite scared of being cut off from their families and their friends and stuff quite a lot. Safia, so tell it was a, a weird dynamic to get used to. Safia, tell us what it was like that the first shift where you, you wore the PPE for the full day and then you tell us about that whole, what it's like. I, well, I, got, I had like acne, <laughs> like after one day of wearing those face masks because it's, it's just something really not kind to your skin or to your own mental health about just breathing in your own hot breath for like 13 hours, right? It was a bit grim. But What about I mean, you, like, Safia? Um, I thought it was all a bit sci-fi, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like how Ash was saying, um, where the hospital is, it's really quite isolated around it. I remember when I was like walking back um, to the hotel, I just thought it just felt very dystopian. Like mm. all these like, I think- Industrial. South, yeah, very like that, like an urban jungle. Um, and the actual like unit that we were working in, yeah, it was so sci-fi. Um, you, you go in, you're dressed up in PPE, um, you're like in blue and white basically, and everyone looks exactly the same. Um, and then you look up at the ceiling and it's like a never ending ceiling in all directions. <laughs> I think I think we're talking about 800 metres to a kilometre, isn't it? The, the actual, mm. that main building, as far as the eye can see, was repeating ward after ward after ward. Some, some with beds, some with ventilators, um, but it's just vast. Yeah, I think um, going in and even just that one unit, it, yeah, it, I, everyone said it's like really surreal um, when you first walk in. And we're not used to, like, um, medics aren't used to being dressed up like that either. We've never had to. Um, well, just kind of stop you. What was the kind of process of actually getting into the PPE? Because not many people uh, do this. So. Yeah, so yeah, even amongst doc doctors and healthcare pro pro professionals, even it's not a common thing to do. Um, so we'd go into for the donning session, and um, which donning is putting on um, the PPE and doffing is taking off the PPE. Um, you'd put on a long gown and um, gloves um, a mask that was um, really quite tight on your face, um, a visor, and for Aaron, some special goggles as well. I, I, <laughs> I, I had, uh, well, you see, Bono sent me his, his, uh, his customised <laughs> Bono goggles. So I would wear the Bono goggles plus the visor, plus the mask, plus the gloves, plus the gown. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's quite a task, really. I think we all got, got quite good at it um, fast um, by, the, by a few like 
sessions of doing it. Um, so in, in one shift, you'd be donning and doffing at least like kind of three times, to be honest, three times. Yeah. Mm. Um, and did you feel safe? Because, um, you know, I mean, the mortality with, with people with COVID that are in ITU is worse than 50 percent. It is worse than tossing a coin. Did you feel yeah, safe? Yeah, I felt pretty safe in all that PPE. Um, I think it was the best PPE I'd had from um, working in different um, places. I'd worked in like four places then. And yeah, definitely there, I felt like the most secure and most protected. Um, I agree. I agree. I, I worked in a couple of places before in A&E somewhere that was quite, quite busy um, in, in the GP surgery. And definitely the Nightingale had the best provisions available. And um I think it's testament that, you know, we've all tested negative after having worked at the Nightingale. Um, mm. So, yeah. you know, the Nightingale higher ups, they, they looked after us. Um, and, you know, they also uh, reallocated the PPE that we weren't using to the local hospitals. And that might not mm. get out to the news much. So they're caring about our well-being, but also the system well-being. Okay, so we're just going to take a quick break and I want to share with you uh, one of the outstanding performers uh, from Glastonbury last year. I'm going to play for you a track from New York Brass Band. During the Glasto weekend, in a couple of weeks' time, we'll be doing a party delivery service. So if, if you're in need of music for your street and for your gardens, um, hit them up, newyorkbrassband.co.uk. I'm going to play for you their version of Diana Ross's I'm Coming Out. So that was New York Brass Band. And if you like them, you can find them at newyorkbrassband.co.uk. Now back to the Nightingale. You, Aaron and Ash, um, we did our first shift together. Like, um, well, that was my first shift. Us, us well, three. That, that was the most divisive moment of, of the whole thing because we all turned up to the shift on day one together. And some of us had special lanyards that has NHS Nightingale on. Yeah, this is serious. People are laughing because it's, it's, people laugh when things are awkward, right? So some of you had the special lanyards that, that you know, proclaimed, you know, the things that you're going to show your grandkids. Yes. The, the NHS lanyard and the ID and everything. And some of us, the paupers, the mere paupers, um, had like budget issue, no idea who this random guy is. And there was a bit of, Envy. Definitely, I felt that. <laughs> I was not lucky to have one of these special lanyards at the beginning. Um, I, I was. Um, with, I think both of us. I think Ash, you had one. Dorcas, you had one. Yeah, yeah I had. A Dorcas few. might have had a few. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that sort of thing is when when you're in these stressful environments, 
weird stuff like that becomes like your plaything, your game. So it's, you know, some of us had the lanyard, some of us had more than one lanyard, some of us had no lanyard. It, those are the things that make your day. And um, I don't know, it's probably like what's what it's like to be in prison. You kind of just find fun in something, <laughs> you find fun in something weird and small. Um, it's like find a new currency because money now has no meaning. I only deal in yan- lanyards and lint bunnies. <laughs> well, yeah, so lint, lint bunnies. Um, so we're not being sponsored by lint at the moment, but lint if you're out there. Um, always. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we were looked after so well there was so much food yeah. on offer we didn't need to worry about cooking up um, so they really looked after us I have to say from the well-being point of view they had you know um, had people doing mindfulness um, if you wanted it they had people doing haircuts I mean it's like <laughs> the only place in London you can get a haircut <laughs> No, it's true. Yeah, I, I, I felt that we were really well looked after. Like the well-being yeah. stuff. You know, snacks are always great. And I think for me, I was obviously a bit nervous because it was going back to something that I hadn't done for a little while um, with a very scary disease that, you know, I was you know, terrified of at first and didn't really know what to do. But it was that, 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 all that, those different kinds of support was really great. So Ash, I'm going to put it on you right now because there's a lot of chat about this disease. Okay, can you just summarise? Let's just say to maybe not uh, the sort of non-medical public that might be listening. Hmm. What is COVID from from where you're sitting right now? COVID is interesting. Without swearing, without swearing. (laughs) (laughs) COVID is, um, it's, it's a fascinating disease because you think of it as a chest infection or respiratory disease but it has so many effects on different organs throughout the body in severe cases so i mean it's it's so it's caused by a version of a coronavirus there are lots of different kinds of coronavirus um they these some strains of coronavirus do circulate in winter and do cause common colds but this is a particularly edgy one that likes to misbehave so not only does it in severe cases, it will shred your lungs. It will cause your lungs to scar up and fill with fluid and pus. Um, but you get it tips you it tips your other organs to make them very unhappy as well. So you you can get heart injury and heart damage. You can have liver injury, liver damage. Uh, you can have strokes. Uh, it makes people have very bizarre um, blood clotting behaviors. So some people bleed, but there's a really what we call a prothrombotic tendency where you get clots just forming everywhere. It's in your lungs um, and the small vessels in your lungs and different parts of your bodies. There was a, um, a case series from New York where a few quite young, health, otherwise healthy young men presented with, you know, having strokes due to COVID. Um, so it's, it's a truly whole body disease. It can give you COVID toe, there's neuro-COVID, which we've spoken about quite a lot as well. So there's all sorts of different manifestations when it starts messing up different parts of your body. And, and I think one of the interesting things from our perspective was that a nightingale, we were initially meant to have, obviously it's an, it's an intensive care unit. So these people are sick. But so people whose lungs weren't working and were requiring a bit of support, maybe for their blood pressure as well. So relatively speaking, they're, they're well for ICU, right? Or they're meant to be. But you just saw that, you know, people's kidneys would stop working out of nowhere. 
and you have to start dialyzing them, which just was weird. They'd clot up like crazy. The, the blood pressure, um, like we had people with crazy, crazy high blood pressures uh, out of nowhere, right? It's just a, a really weird, complex disease that, you know, it's only been, only been around for six months and we don't really understand, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's a bit of an enigma. But I think there's there's a bit of hope out there, isn't there? Because yeah, whilst yeah. we were there, Safia, um, they, they were uh, the patients that were in in the ITU um, were enrolled into a trial, um, the recovery trial, if, if I'm if I'm right. Um, do you want to just yeah. tell our listeners about that for those that don't know? Um, <laughs> I don't know too much about it, but um, basically oh, there are some. Oh no, no, I think I know enough. Um, there's some. <laughs> Experimental medications, um, well, medications that exist already um, for different um, conditions, um, but were to found to be ha- to have some benefit maybe um, in other places um, in some small studies that they've done um, around the world. And um, so, some our patients were being enrolled um, in this by our really nice research team, and then they were either. Um, randomized to not having um, a medication and having the normal standard of intensive care um, or having one of the medications as well um, which ranged from hydroxychloroquine which is um, what a lot of people must have heard about because of Donald Trump um, to tocilumazab which I can hardly say (laughs) Um, which is the immunosuppressive drug so um, that was the trial that was going on there and I think they were collecting um information for kind of genetics as well if I'm right as well um and then there was a third trial as well um but I can't remember I think that was more kind of data collection too so I think um, it's it's really important for people to know this because you know the nightingale was not just a place uh for people to go and die it was not a place for people to go and be palliated um purely palliated it was a place to deliver as good itu care as we can deliver in any of our other hospitals around the country and to be honest um, we demonstrated that day in day out shift after shift patient after patient unfortunately it's incredible um that we were able to to deliver what we did i mean it's completely mental it is it was it was completely batshit crazy mental but it worked right and i think it's to everyone who volunteered yeah the way that that i saw it was that these people had already had a chance in an itu um and they were still really unwell and the fact that even one patient was extubated and got to recover after being in Nightingale is like a success in itself um, because yeah I don't think we can really convey how how critically ill these people were on their it, it is it is a disease like no other it affects people in so many different ways and you know it's just the absolute unknown and I think it's going to take us years to really come to terms with the implications of of you know people having had COVID and surviving and families having um, loved ones with COVID as well, and society adapting to the changes to prevent the spread of COVID as well. Um, We're just gonna um, take a pause here uh, and hear a message from our sponsors. 
Hi, I'm Sam from Reflex Medical and we're really pleased to be working in association with the Roadie Medic. We're your complete one-stop shop for pre-hospital care equipment, from bandages to defibrillators and everything in between. Our range is continually expanding and is comprised of some of the leading brands in the pre-hospital arena. We only sell equipment we would be happy using in our own event medical work as we know our customers deserve the best. We can supply bespoke and fully kitted bags and can offer leasing or hire options to help you get started. Contact us today on hello at reflexmedical.co.uk or give us a call on 0800 862 0344. Get 10% off everything in our range when you use the code RODIMEDIC at checkout at reflexmedical.co.uk. There's no minimum order and delivery is free when you spend £20 or more. Thank you for listening this far uh, through the podcast and thank you for listening to our message uh, from the message from the sponsor uh, in the basket. If you if you enter the words roadie medic, you'll get 10% off your purchases. And I think it's free oh, delivery okay. with purchases over 20 quid. So everyone's <laughs> happy. I look after you here on the roadie medic podcast. Okay, so in the next episode, I've got a treat for you. We're going to have a discussion around mass gatherings in COVID, translating research and policy into practice. We're going to have two experts. We're going to have Dr. Jamie Rance from Australia, who is a researcher and policymaker who works with the World Health Organization in the Australia region. And we're going to have um, Alan Withers, who is the managing director of ShowMed, who will present the provider's perspective on uh, implementing new guidance and new policies in relation to COVID and mass gatherings in the UK. So do join us for that. And if you uh, haven't subscribed already, please do like, share and subscribe. Um, and it'd be really cool to have um, uh, you all along for the ride. Also, if you've got any ideas to propose um, topics that we need to discuss, um, bands that we need to interview, then please do uh, drop me an email at roadiemedic at gmail.com. Tweet me at Aaron Castro ED. And let's keep the conversation going. Um, I think it's time really to, to just put it to the guests today. Um, in a year's time, what are you going to be doing? So um, I said before, I'll be doing my leadership MSc. Um, so potentially just focusing on that, probably doing a bit of research in uh, my field of expertise, <laughs> nutrition. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, just seeing what the future holds, you know. But I think that is a, a big plan for um, one year. Hmm. And that is that. Thank you, Dorcas. <laughs> We'll have you back in a year's time. I think it'd be great to catch up. Defo, thank you. Thank you. Um, pleasure. Um, so I'll be heading back to hospital to complete my training um, for next year. But I've still not forgotten everything I've learned through this. Um, through Nightingale and just what's happened and how it's linked with my tropical medicine trusts and um, I'm doing a diploma in conflict medicine as well, which I think is quite relevant. Um, you, you mentioned a lot about mass gatherings and there's a lot to do with kind of crowd psychology um, in particular that we've learned about um, and just seeing how that's, um, yeah, even in the media now and what's happening um, with um, the protests last week, which I may have attended. 
um, <laughs> in terms of mass gatherings and how people really react as a crowd. Um, um, uh, but there's yeah loads of really interesting stuff um, out there. It links a lot with kind of expedition medicine, I guess, as well. Um, I mean, that, that is the ultimate roadie medic behavior, uh, yeah. expedition medicine. If you've got any people out there that, that can hear me from your sailing boat out in the Pacific, then we'd love to hear from you too. <laughs> yeah, definitely, because you're, you're actually our goals <laughs> out there. Um, Ash, what about you? Year's time, where are we or where are you? Uh, so I, 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 I will be doing my PhD. Um, which is very exciting. So I'm meant to be starting that in October. Um, get, get to go back to uni, which is great. So I'm, my PhD is going to be in um, risk modeling for breast cancer. So comparing statistical methods with um, machine learning slash AI. So hopefully I will be enjoying life as a student in a year's time, doing lots of cool maths and stay staying in touch with you guys and hopefully covid will be a distant memory by then but we'll keep learning in the process well thank you thank you dorcas thank you safia and thank you ash for your time and thank you for the listeners for listening uh, this has been the roadie medic podcast and to play us out i've got some more from the moods this is the rise and fall of america this is the rise and fall of america